So today we're talking with Ray Lucas from Valley Chrome in uh, Clovis, California. Uh, Ray's been an advocate uh, for the finishing industry for many, many years and uh, has been involved in finishing for many, many years. Ray, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me today. Well, Tim, you know, it's a pleasure to do it, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the, to doing it. So, <laughs> Getting to learn a little bit more about you. And like I said, I know I've, I've written about you a couple times and, and you and your family and, and how you all got started. And I know, I wonder if you could just kind of recap a little bit. I know this is a, a, a family business that, you know, your dad started and it was a small shop. And you guys really, you and your uh, family have really grown, uh, you know, Valley Chrome into something very big. But just take me back to when you got started in this industry okay well just as a real quick story my dad was a steel worker in gary indiana and he decided mm -hmm. hey i don't want my kids growing up in the steel mills so in 1961 he sold everything he owned and we took wow. route 66 in a station wagon out to california and his brother goes hey i know this company you can buy a third of for 12 grand so he bought into valley chrome eventually bought his other partners out and that's how we got started I personally got started in 1967 when one day, you know, school was out. I was 15 years old. My dad goes, get in the truck. I go, where are we going? Going, <laughs> we're going to work. So that's kind of how I started Valley Chrome. And that summer, I kind of learned how to plate. And then uh, a couple years later, I started a night crew with some of my friends. We'd go in there about 3.30 after school and play Universal Gym Equipment for three or four hours. And I was a junior <laughs> in high school at that time and kind of learned how to really run a plating line and run a crew at the same time. So, you know, I kind of transitioned through that. And then, you know, this is a family business, so all the brothers uh, eventually ran that same crew. And it was great training because my dad firmly believed in get out in the back and learn the back up to the front. So all mm. of us basically worked in every department. And, you know, that allowed me in later years when I got involved with the association, particularly when we were doing the merger of the three associations, that kind of allowed me to be gone, but have people backing me up. And I have to right. say, you know, Valley Chrome was successful, not only because of me, but for, my whole family, you know, it was truly a team effort over the years to get right. it done. Right, and you know, you all are not so much known as a as a as a plating operation, but as a manufacturer now, right? I mean, you all no, made that's that. True, we were yeah. a job shop back in the '60s. We chrome motorcycle parts, and we had a car bumper straightening department. My dad would run around all the body shops and pick up car bumpers and straighten them. And a trucker came to him in about '68 or '69 and said, "Hey." I only can get a 12 inch bumper on my Kenworth. Can you make me a wider one? My dad said, yeah, I think we can do that. So he started out with that one word of mouth. You know, we got up to three bumpers a day or whatever. And it got so busy around 1990 that we had some commercial accounts. I had a large account. We'd chrome a couple million trailer hitch balls a month, but we were letting all those accounts sit while we were doing our own products. And so we became at that time, we converted from a job shop into a captive shop, and we only do our own products now. Right, right. That, that was a big decision for you guys, right? I mean, it was there. You know, financially, you saw some things, that, and 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 to make this change was a big, big risk for you guys, wasn't it? To, you know, I, to... I'd have to say it was. And and my brother, my late brother Tom, who died of COVID, was our general mm -hmm. manager at the time, and he brought the he brought that to us. He goes, "Hey, you know, we're not making any money doing both," and 
we were, I think, you know, we were about ready to go bankrupt. And he said, you know, I think if we get rid of all this and focus on the bumpers, that it'll be good. And it was great. You know, I mean, the next month we were in the black and we've never looked back. And, you know, our production keeps going up. We have well over 200 employees now and, you know, good market share and, and business is good. Right. Yeah. I remember at the time you told me it was too late for you to go back to law or to medical school. So you were going to become, you know, yeah. make it, make it manufacturing. So yeah, what well, is my, my siblings tell me I'm the dumb one of the bunch. I don't know if I'd get into <laughs> medical school anyway. So, right. right. So, you know, like I said, looking, talking about when you first got in and I, I like to ask people about who were some of the mentors. I'm sure, like you said, you kind of learned a lot of it from your father and some other people in the industry, but uh, but, you know, going around, did, did you have the opportunity to go to other facilities or, you know, I know everybody goes to trade shows now and meets people, but back in the 60s, how was it that you were able to kind of learn from some people uh, you know, about the I, business? I basically learned from the people that were doing the plating in my plant. My dad did not believe in uh, joining associations. He never joined until we took over later. Uh, I think it wasn't until the late 90s that we really got involved in the association. And one of the reasons was, is um, it's a long story of how we got into zero discharge and ion exchange, but we became known as uh, environment, environmentally compliant in California. And so um, at that time, I wanted to get more involved in the association. So I started with... Uh, NAMF and worked through their chairs and eventually became their last president. Although Bob, Bob Berger claims that, but I was actually the last. <laughs> and I'm still the NAMF president because we merged when that right. happened. The reigning, reigning champion. <laughs> you know, we got basically uh, in the early 2000s, I started getting involved in the association. And, uh, you know, my intention was to kind of bring some stuff to the table as far as we were doing environmentally, but to my a uh, great surprise, you know, the people that I talked to, you know, people like Mike Kelly and Bill Sauce and Mike Sigmund and Tony Revere, to, to name a few that were also presidents of the new association, NASF. I mean, these guys gave me great advice. And I, I thought that being in the association, the camaraderie uh, right. was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Once I did become president, I did travel around to a lot of plating shops. Uh, I've probably been in a couple hundred, you know, the, the years when mm -hmm. we first moved, uh, merged the three associations was very difficult because each mm -hmm. association had their own agenda. So I had right. to go around and give talks to plating associations and just meet with people. And that first year was very antagonistic, but we managed to work through it. And I firmly right. believe that they didn't, vote for me to become the first NASF president because I was the smartest. There were many smarter people on the board. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. just stubborn and I could say no. So they said, okay, you're going to go do this. So um, right. anyway, I don't regret a thing. I've always said that I got more out of the association than I put into it. And I, I firmly believe that. I mean, I have these uh, people that run big supplier uh, companies that are, you know, the, the prime guys, and they have always given me great advice. I still call them. I still use them. Um, I think I've gotten way more out of it than I ever put in it. Right, right. Well, let's not be remiss. You mentioned something about zero discharge. Uh, you know, to say this, you know, California actually gave you an award, your company an award 
for being so environmentally conscious years ago, which, you know, I mean, they're, they've got a bullseye on the, on the plating industry, but they gave you an award. So that was something that kind of tells you what you did uh, to really, uh, you know, meet their stringent codes and to be a model shop for that, right? Yeah, you know, we continue to do that. What we try to do every few years is bring all the regulatory agencies in and mm -hmm. all the platers in California, and we have a tour of our facility, and then we take them to off-site, buy lunch, let the regulatory agencies um, do some presentations, and that does two things. You know, it makes us uh, kind of, it doesn't make us bulletproof, but it makes us, these guys know that we're for real, we're doing the, you know, we're doing the right thing and they're seeing our facility. And the other thing it does is it puts these regulatory agencies together with uh, platers that normally would be in an enforcement type situation. They get to know them ahead of time. And I've had several people right. tell me that that was the only thing that saved them. You know, right. we've, we've done zero discharge and we're using trivalent chrome, a couple of very environmentally friendly things. We don't landfill anything. We incinerate it. Uh, so, you know, we're trying to minimize that footprint. And I continue to do my beyond compliance presentations all over the country. I did one a couple of years ago in Cape Cod for those guys. Uh, I've been asked by Chicago to do one there in August. And I mm -hmm. actually enjoy doing it. And I will still say, even when I'm doing it, I still learn things because I'll give my presentation and somebody will come up to me. He goes, well, you're doing this this way. Why don't you do it this way? It's like. Man, I never thought of that. <laughs> right. so, I mean, I'm still getting stuck right. back even doing it. Right. Well, you know, I, I do remember, you know, talking about building partnerships between the plating industry and, and these agencies. And I remember, you know, when you were president years and years ago, uh, you, you really put together a partnership with OSHA too, right? It was I think it was one of the first partnerships that OSHA did with an industry to really, you know, work together, communicate, talk, right? I mean, that and, was something you know, really unique. Our association's done a lot of that. That was one good example of things that worked. You know, we do have mm -hmm. uh, the policy group has good communication with the EPA and other agencies, but it's it's really def difficult being a metal finisher, particularly right now if you're doing hex chrome, especially right. in California. You know, we're in the fight of our life right now. They're trying to put hex chrome platers right. of all descriptions out of business in as little as two two years. So, um, and there's no reason for it. Uh, our industry is a very, very small footprint of where hex chrome comes from in the state of California. But, you know, it's the perception of plating shops that, you know, we have to do more for to get these people to kind of, you know, back off. And it's, right. it's difficult. Right. And it's strange because you all are on the opposite end. It seems like the plating industry has really taken the lead of any manufacturers uh, to really be environmentally conscious uh, to be advocates, to have these open discussions, you know, with, you know, one of the first groups to really get rid of, you know, PFAS and those type of things. So uh, it's really strange that, uh, you know, you guys take that hit, but, and you've actually been one of the most um, uh, environmentally friendly manufacturing sectors around, I think. You know, Tim, that, that's very true. And the problem is, is the regulatory agencies, um, right now we're having a problem with CARB, but I would say all of them, you know, there's two things happening. One you know, the people that we've met and trained over the years are starting to roll out and retire. So we're starting right. basically from scratch. And the other thing is, is the envir environmental people will just not leave this industry alone. You know, right. no matter what we say or do, they're going, they're, they're in attack mode 100%. So, you know, these agencies have us on one side saying, hey, be reasonable.
doing this, we're environmentally friendly, but we have the enviros on the other side saying, hey, these guys need to go, you know, they're, they're putting toxins into the environment and they're killing the children. So right. it's, it's yeah. a tough fight, it really is. Right, right. You know, it's funny, uh, you know, some of the names that you mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, one of the questions I was gonna ask you was, you know, uh, you've been in this for how many decades now? Five, five decades or yes. six almost, yeah. Um, you know, it's really been, it's almost like you have your family and you got your business family, and then you've got the people that you've met in the industry and, and, you know, you've gone, you know, to conferences and, and, and things like that with them, spend a lot of time. And it really, can you talk to me about what the, just really what the industry has meant to you? It really seems like it has really, it's, it's something that you put a lot of heart into. You know, I started, you know, back in the early 2000s with NAMF and they told me, hey, you know, uh, if you're going to be on the NAMF board, we want you to go to Arizona and start an association. And I didn't know anything about starting associations. <laughs> so I just started having meetings over there. But And we did eventually get about 15 or 20 people. And Arizona has a large metal finishing population over there. But they don't have the environmental pressure that we have in California. Right. So it's kind of tough to get, you know, people to care. But anyway, I would go around all these plating shops and I met friends over there that I still talk to today. And, you know, it's been like that in the whole industry. You know, I started on the NEMF board and then was the first president of NASF. And those people that were on that board are my best friends to this day. You know, we developed mm -hmm. such a rapport, you know, fighting for our industry um, that, you know, it's been one of the highlights of my life, I think, is being able to interact with these people. And it's really been good for us because, you know, to this day, I use them for advice whenever I need to. Right. And I guess it's good, too, uh, to have that type of peer-to-peer. -peer. I mean, these are other owners of other companies. And, uh, you know, it's lonely in the chair, right? Lonely at the top. It is, and, and, yeah. Right. And be able to talk to some people and kind of work uh, some ideas past them because otherwise – you know, you're kind of just, you're, you're almost alone there with that as a, you know, as the owner of a large organization, it must be great to have that, be able to, uh, you know, like I said, have that conversation with people who certainly understand what you go through every day. Yeah, they always help. And, you know, the other thing is it, it is a family business and, you know, the other people do as much as I do. So that, you know, we kind of work that back and forth, but, you know, I talk to people, I'm still on a couple committees, which I like to keep my hand in. And uh, I've actually tried to get off one of them and they won't let me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, right. you know, and that's, you know, I'm kind of learning some of the new guys. I know all the old guys, but, you know, now the NASF board, I only know a few people on there. So, right. you know, and, and it's the younger people. And I think that's, you know, we, we did the, the rollover so you can only do six years on there for a reason to get people like us from hanging on there too long. But, you know, the problem is, is sometimes you lose the tribal knowledge. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I try and do as much of that as I can. But, you know, these people, they have no uh, idea of what the past history is sometimes. And they'll right. do things that aren't necessarily the, in the best interest of the association as a whole. Right. So, yeah. You know, in general, it, it, it's funny. Uh, question I just want to ask is, you know, what would you, what advice would you give somebody who's just starting out in the finishing industry? I mean, it sounded like, you know, when you first started out, like you said, you, you guys weren't that much involved, but then you became involved and it really sort of flipped the switch for you guys. But what advice would you give somebody who's, you know, just getting started in the industry, maybe, you know, just out of college and, or, or you know, they're, 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 they're managing a department or they're into engineering in the industry. What advice would you give them 
So the first thing I probably would tell them to do is start uh, attending a couple of the events. I would think that surf-in would be the big one. Mm-hmm. And um, we spend, you know, money to go to surf-in every year. And I've always found something there that I can't find anywhere else. Plus, mm-hmm. you can talk to all these companies that are exhibiting um, that are doing different things that you might know of. So you need to do those events and you need to start hanging with the people. And then I think it would be, you know, to establish a rapport like I did with my peers, get on a committee. I mean, these committees, they're not a ton of work. You know, you have meetings every once in a while. You might get assigned something some sometime, but you're meeting people that are on the same level that you are and do the same kinds of things. And right. that is an opportunity that a young person should not miss. Right. Definitely. Definitely. You know, it, uh, what 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 more do you want the industry to do? What improvements do you want the industry to do? I mean, I think, you know, like I said, as far as regulatory, I think everybody it's not back in the days of the 60s and 70s where there were some, you know, wild things going on. I mean, this is a, a question. But what, what else would you want this industry to do and accomplish maybe in the next next couple of years and such? You know, what I've seen as far as the new people coming up is they tend not to get involved. So I would like right. to see more young people uh, get involved. And also they need to, I think, you know, our industry, and I think a lot of the bad apples in our industry have been regulated out of business, but, and we continue to work on our reputation, but I think, you know, we need to do more things kind of like I'm doing with the Enviros. That needs to be done on a larger scale because we need to change the perception of our industry you know, to a more environmentally friendly. And I think that for the most part, everybody is complying now, but still there is a lot, a lot of pressure that I think if we did more would, would kind of help us. Right. Right. You know, looking back, my kind of my final question, looking back in your career, uh, you, you've done a lot of heavy lifting for this industry. Like I said, you had the merger, right? You had to to put all that together. Uh, And then, you know, you've had some years and years where, you know, again, and you're seeing it now where regulatory was really, really hammering this. But, you know, looking back, some of the memories that you had, the fondest memories, I mean, what do you think some of your biggest accomplishments are? Certainly, like I said, pushing through the merger, getting things where they are today and, and those type of things. What do you think uh, are some of your fondest ones? Well, you know, I really liked uh, when we had the three associations and they kept talking about merging them. And it never really got anywhere. And we had a blackjack committee in Chicago and there was 21 of us and we had a coach or a facilitator come in there and we broke that group of 21 into three or four different groups. And each one of us targeted a certain area, you know, one might've been bylaws or one, you know, what is the dues structure going to look like? So we did that over the whole weekend with 21 people. And these were the top seven people in the three associations. And I really, I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, I thought we got a lot done and actually got the merger to happen. So that, that was really a, a great, a great week. Um, you know, I like going to the meetings. I like going to surf in. We have a thing where all the past presidents get together and, sit outside and have a beer and smoke some cigars and reminisce and, mm-hmm. you know, say how much better it was when we were running it, basically. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, I just like interacting with, you know, the people. And I think, you know, I would have to say my biggest accomplishment was getting the NASF 1000 off the ground 
And, you know, we're in the process of refocusing that, but I still believe firmly that we need at least a million dollars in the bank. We're not there yet. And, you know, we're, we're undergoing some, you know, this thing with PFOS right now is, is really serious. We may end up spending every dime we have on that. But the NASF 1000 needs to go forward, and we need to get a, a war chest that, you know, is sitting there that we can use if we need it. Right, right. Well, you know, obviously, you've you've received almost all the top honors from uh, the NASF and the industry, the, you know, the presidential awards and the, I think the Terramino Award yes. and all these and everything. And really, you know, uh, you know, from somebody who's only been in the industry 10 years, thank you for what you've done, because, you know, people tend to forget the people that came before them that really, uh, you know, took the took the arrows right in the chest, you know, sometimes. And so, yeah, so thank you, know, you for that. Yeah. Everybody happens to see this and they see me at an event. They want to sit down and talk about anything. I'd be, I'd right. be really happy to do it. You know, I'm honored that you uh, interviewed me. And I will say again that I got much more out of this association than I ever put in it. Right. Well, right. Thanks for taking the time. I, I certainly appreciate it. We'll see. We'll see you at a show soon. Tim, and I think I owe you a beer, so remind me of that. Two, two of those. Beers. Very good. <laughs> yeah. All right. All righty. Thank you.